Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast of The Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and today it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Rebecca Fitzgerald to tell us about hers and colleagues' recent article on the use of cytosponge for Paris' esophagus surveillance. Dr. Fitzgerald, welcome. Cytosponge is becoming increasingly of interest for health systems. Can you please briefly describe its advantages and disadvantages and how it compares with endoscopy, for example? Yes, thank you. Probably good if I just explain the technology first and, and just explain what cytosponge is. So it's a cell collection device, a very simple one. So a pill is swallowed on a thread and then the capsule dissolves to release a sponge. And that can be readily pulled back by a nurse collecting a panesophageal sample, which actually contains millions of cells as it comes out. So those cells are then processed to a pellet and put onto a slide that can be analysed by a pathologist, helped by biomarkers, so that they can identify precancerous and cancerous changes. So that's in contrast to endoscopy and biopsy, which is the gold standard for diagnosing and monitoring precancerous changes in the gut, such as Barrett's esophagus. Uh, less invasive alternatives like cytosponge are of interest because they could have advantages for the patient, more convenient, no sedation, less unpleasant, and also advantages for the healthcare system because most cases with Barrett's don't progress to cancer and endoscopy is quite resource intensive. And COVID has actually added an extra level to this because um, there's been a lot of concern about aerosol generating procedures like endoscopy and less hospital capacity for screening and monitoring. So cytosponge, again, compared with endoscopy, can be done in an office setting. One person administers the device compared to three individuals in endoscopy. And for endoscopy, your mouth is, is open the whole time during the procedure. Aerosols can be generated, whereas cytos cytosponge is less aerosol generating. So can you please give us an overview of the aims and main findings of your study? Yes. So we've previously shown in a randomized trial that cytosponge can diagnose 10 times more Barrett's esophagus than the usual care by the GP. But in this study, what we wanted to do was address where the cytosponge can be used to monitor Barrett's, because these patients are subject to repeated endoscopy to detect dysplasia and cancer over time. And as I said, most of these individuals are actually at very low risk. Only about one in 300 will develop cancer per year of known Barrett's. So the aims of this study were to see if we could use cytosponge as a triage as a triage to identify, first of all, the individuals at high risk so that endoscopy can be prioritised for those, and then find the individuals on the other side of the coin at very low risk who could have much less frequent follow-up and be spared unnecessary endoscopy. So to do that, we first of all analysed a large number of patients, nearly 900, and those had endoscopy as well as cytosponge so that we could compare the results from the two procedures. And the first thing we found was that when cytosponge is abnormal, meaning the cells are atypical, we call that atypia, and there's overexpression of the tumor suppressor gene P53, then that patient is at high risk and needs an endoscopy. And for those individuals, additional clinical features or information about the patient don't add any additional information. But when the cytosponge is normal, then we looked at all of the clinical variables we had, about 17 of them, and we found that the age, the sex, and long Barrett segments are helpful to identify those patients at increased risk. So that's men over 60 with longer segments as a sort of safety net to make sure we really don't miss patients who have dysplasia or cancer. So we use this information to design a decision tree with three groups, high risk with a positive cytosponge, moderate, negative cytosponge, but, but clinical risk factors, age, sex, and length of the segments, 
and low risk, meaning none of those negative situs funds, no clinical risk factors. So overall, if you use that decision tree, then the sensitivity of picking up high-grade dysplasia or cancer in the high and moderate risk groups was 94% and 88% for any dysplasia. So that's low-grade, high-grade dysplasia or cancer. By contrast, in the low-risk group, the chances of finding high-grade dysplasia or cancer was just 2%. So if you put that another way, the likelihood of diagnosing high-grade dysplasia or cancer in cytosponge-positive biomarkers or high-risk is three times higher than the current practice of endoscoping everyone. So 47% in our high-risk group versus 14% if you endoscope everyone. And in a final bit of our study, we tested this decision tree in a prospective cohort of 223 patients in four community hospitals and one tertiary referral centre. And this was during COVID-19 when these individuals weren't able to access endoscopy so easily. And using the decision tree, 17% were biomarker positive on cytosponge and triage straight to endoscopy, whereas 65% were in that lowest risk group and could confidently have endoscopy delayed and, and in the future potentially have continued cytosponge follow-up. These are very interesting results. And what are the clinical implications of these findings? So we think that implementation of cytosponge and Barrett's esophagus surveillance could help prioritise patients for endoscopic confirmation and therapy. And this could be especially useful when resources are more limited during the pandemic, but also longer term outside of the pandemic, given the importance of reducing harms and maximising benefits for patients who are in early cancer detection programmes like Barrett surveillance. So we envisage a system where patients with Barrett's would have a baseline endoscopy and after that, their follow-up could be with cytosponge. And if they're in that high-risk group with abnormal cytosponge findings, they get prioritised to endoscopy so that the endoscopist can focus on those patients. In that moderate risk group, you might foresee a situation where you have alternating cytosponge and endoscopy, for example, and in the lowest risk group, they could just have continual cytosponge monitoring at fairly infrequent intervals. And we think that that could just be better for patients and better for the clinicians and healthcare systems. Uh, so what are the recommendations of this paper for governments and other policymakers? So we think this work's very clinically relevant. We're continuing this work as part of implementation pilots in the UK to confirm the findings. The other thing we're particularly interested to look at is patients who have abnormal cytosponge results, but a normal endoscopy. And those patients, you know, maybe endoscopy with the current surveillance sampling is actually missing dysplasia. So there's more work to really understand that group. We also want to understand the optimal frequency of the cytosponge, how patients feel about this new triage system, and to quantify the economic benefits to help inform policy. So we think that this will be relevant to policymakers. And in the future, as we really confirm these findings and get more information, we hope that might lead to, to new clinical guidelines. Thank you, Dr. Fitzgerald, for agreeing to speak to us and to all our listeners. This article is now available online at lancetoncology.com and with our February issue.